Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. My name is Claire Lehman and I am Editor-in-Chief of Quillette. Quillette is where free thought lives. We are an independent grassroots platform for heterodox ideas and fearless commentary. Our podcast is a team effort and is jointly hosted by myself, Associate Editor Toby Young and Canadian Editor Jonathan Kay. You can support our podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash Quillette and becoming a monthly patron. By becoming a monthly patron, you'll also receive our weekly newsletter. Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. I'm Jonathan Kay, Quillette's Canadian editor. For years, Jamie Kilstein was something of a Hollywood insider, a comedian whose snarky, hyper-progressive political views and social media style embodied the worst stereotype of the armchair social justice warrior. Or at least, that's how Kilstein himself described his old life in a widely shared Quillette essay called I sold my soul on Twitter, now I'm trying to win it back. Now, Kilstein has got a new podcast and a new home. After years in L.A., he's moved to Arizona with no plans to return. This week, I called him up at his new home and asked him why he left Hollywood and what he's learned from his girlfriend and her red state parents. We also talked about the recent Antifa beating of Quillette editor Andy Ngo in Portland, that time his mum gave him menthol cigarettes for Christmas, and what it's like to hang out with Moby, eating vegan food, doing silent meditation, and sharing in a sound bath, whatever that is. Jamie, thanks for joining us. Last week on the Quillette podcast, we had Nicholas Christakis, a world-acclaimed intellectual Sterling professor at Yale University, talking about the future of the human species on the occasion of his new book, This being the summer, though, I thought we'd take a little break and this week talk to you. I got dick jokes. I got dick jokes ready. Okay, I just want to check because Nicholas Christakis is on Time Magazine's list of the world's 100 most influential intellectuals. I I wanted to check. Are you on that list? I am banned from the Conan O'Brien show for talking about Obama's drone strikes. Kind of the same. Okay, yeah. All right. The reason I wanted to talk is I know that, uh, you know, you're part of the Quillette universe. You've written for us. You spoke at our event uh, in Toronto in early 2019. But I understand that you've had some serious life changes lately, including a big geographical change I want to talk about. But just as a baseline, for years you lived in Los Angeles, you were and still are an entertainer and a public figure. As you know, my knowledge of Hollywood culture comes from watching Entourage. And just like to situate our listeners, if you had been on Entourage during that period, which character would you have been? Uh, who is the broke fat one? Not, uh, not the hot one and not Jeremy Piven. That's kind of as far as my entourage knowledge goes. Yeah, I had the most stereotypical, like what everyone's conservative father thinks is LA. Like any girl who's been like, dad, I'm moving to LA. He assumes this is going to happen. I didn't even assume it was going to happen. I landed in LAX from New York City. So I lived in New York for like 10 years. Uh, so I landed in LAX, probably Instagrammed the landing. So already not off to a great start. Then I took an Uber or probably Lyft because I was trying to protest uh, the politics of Uber. So I took a Lyft. No, it's the same thing. So then I took a Lyft to buy a Prius. Like I swear to God, I had my my luggage because I'm gonna I'm gonna need a car. I took a Lyft directly to Toyota of Hollywood. Uh, bought a Prius on the spot. Drove the Prius to meet uh, the the now canceled singer and my, 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 my good friend Moby uh, at a vegan restaurant. 
Um, we ate vegan food and then as God is my witness, drove to a silent meditation slash more vegan food slash sound bath at his home with a bunch of like tattooed vegan girls. I just have to stop you there just because I'm about to throw up. Yep. If you need to take a second, I get it. There's a wonderful and and concise description of the experience you're describing by by the writer Miley Cyrus yes. uh, in her in her 2009 work Party in the USA. She was on the Times list, by the way. I hopped off the plane at LAX with the dream and my cardigan. Welcome to the land of fame excess. Whoa, am I gonna fit in? Yeah. So Jamie, did you did you fit in? Uh, I did. Well, I got. I, I I do have to say that for as cliche as it was, those people are wonderful people who are actually compared to a lot of the entertainers on the left. Um, the people that night, and for what, you know, take what you will from this, uh, the people from the vegan meditation sound bath were more grounded and down to earth than a lot of the entertainers we see on Twitter uh, screaming all day. I mean, I don't fit in a lot of places, but I definitely did not fit in to uh, the LA entertainment scene. I mean, in the beginning, in the beginning, I mean, my first show was a Judd Apatow ACLU benefit. So again, with like the, the cliches. Was there a moment when you actually felt like, okay, this is it, I'm gonna live and die in LA? You know, being in LA and having more successful friends and being able to swim in their pool and being able to perform, you know, it was, it was great. I mean, the thing that I didn't like, I didn't really like performing where you could just on a comedy stage shout talking points and get an applause break. You could kind of just get away with being sort of hacky and just being like Trump's orange and you would get an applause break. And what I always loved about the really edgy comics that we still quote as being our favorites, you know, George Carlin, Bill Hicks, Richard Pryor, is whatever the establishment was at the time, they would push back. So Bill Hicks got famous talking, you know, uh, against Reagan and Bush and religion. But at the time, that was very unpopular. And he got banned from Letterman. George Carlin spoke out a lot against PC culture. And we would probably call George Carlin, you know, a privileged curmudgeon-y old white man nowadays. Richard Pryor would straight up be canceled because his most famous special had to do with like domestic abuse and drug addiction. And he was joking about it, which is how he coped and tried to heal or get better or use his pain to make other people laugh. And I think that that is far different than every comedian almost being legally required to have a Donald Trump joke or to, it just seems disingenuous to me. Like I still love liberal comedians. There are still good ones out there who are pushing the boundaries. But to be honest, I think the edgiest thing right now are kind of the club comics like Rogan and Bill Burr who, even though they are still very liberal, are pushing back against some of the insanity on the left. I mean, that's what comedy is. It's taking a challenging subject that people don't think they can laugh at, twisting around, and then punching them in the stomach and catching them um, with a joke. So I felt, even when things were going well for as brief a time period as that was, I did feel kind of gross 
I would rather perform with a bunch of artists who are taking chances and, and, and bombing than n- not just speaking in front of people who uh, agree with them. You haven't just become a disillusioned Hollywood veteran. You've actually picked up stakes and, and left. It wasn't exactly just a, a self-exile. I was definitely sort of forced to look at my decisions and life. And I think there are a lot of people in my situation. I think there are a lot of people who for one reason or the other, have become disillusioned with the left and you know, still consider them self-liberal, still want to make sure that we have a, a, a solid social safety net for people who are struggling, don't want unnecessary wars, which, by the way, I also think could be a, a very conservative position. We don't want to put vets' uh, life at risk. Uh, if we don't need to, we want to take care of them when they get home so they aren't killing themselves with PTSD. But I was avoiding politics in general, and the podcast was just kind of like another sad guy comedian, you know, bemoaning their failures. So I turned the podcast into a daily political show. It's like a 20-minute recap every day, Monday through Wednesday, kind of making fun of the left and the right, bringing people together. And then Thursday, there's an interview. And we've had extreme lefties from, you know, Rania Kalik and Ryan Grimm is coming on next week. But then we've had Christina Hoff Summers and Yasmin Mohammed. I had a really good episode with Dave Rubin. It's really cool. We got really personal, uh, which Dave doesn't do a ton about how he met his husband. And we both came up doing stand up in New York. And the goal when I do these interviews isn't if I'm talking to someone I disagree with, it's not just to shout my talking points down their throat. Glenn Beck's having me on his show next week. And I had on my resume for a very long time, Glenn Beck calling me a doofus because my old show literally did an episode called the fuck you Glenn Beck episode where we had, I swear to God, the head of Acorn and Bill Ayers, who if you guys don't remember, uh, Bill Ayers was the quote unquote terrorist that Sarah Palin said Barack Obama was palling around with. So every Friday on my old show, we had a segment called palling around with Bill and we was just which I still think is pretty funny. Uh, And we would just have Bill Ayers come and he would like do whatever he wanted. He would like read poetry. It was really surreal and bizarre. Um, So Glenn Beck heard about it and like called me a doofus, but I'm going on his show next week. And Glenn Beck said a lot of cool stuff against Trump that I agree with. He's sober, which I think is really cool. I think there's a lot me and him can talk about. I've done uh, Ben Shapiro's network. Ben Shapiro tweeted out the, the article I wrote for Quillette. I don't agree with these people on everything, but I've had really amazing conversations. And it's a bummer that the people on the left that take up that space wouldn't have me on, people who I was friends with. And again, for anyone who's listened to my podcast, it's not even Rogan-level conservative, which I wouldn't consider conservative. There was an episode last week that I think sums up the podcast, which is, hey, this kid, Andy, got assaulted straight up. I'm a fighter. I'm a fight coach. I know what assault looks like. And no matter how you feel about his journalism, we shouldn't do that. The other side of that on the left is no matter how you feel about immigration policy, you shouldn't support kids in cages. That's what the show is. I want to hear about how getting out of the Hollywood fishbowl has affected you and your view of the world. Tell the listener a little bit about where you live now and some of the people you've met, uh, including your girlfriend's parents, who I understand are kind of the opposite of that Moby Buddhist 
vegan Prius driving cult you were talking about? Yeah, I live in Arizona. We were tired of being surrounded by social media influencers that if you tried to explain to like a coal miner what an influencer was, you'd probably get punched in the mouth. We were tired of overhearing these pretentious Silver Lake liberals talk about the the rally they're going to. We are surrounded by artists and conservatives and my neighbor's son works in the border patrol my jujitsu gym is i'm one of the only white people there yet their politics are like very centrist they make incredibly racy un-pc jokes to each other and are the kindest sweetest people in the world who are also badasses who also fight i flew to dallas to meet my girlfriend's parents who i swear to god uh, send her Bible verses and work in oil and have guns. I don't think I've ever been to church. I've never shot a gun. Uh, I will probably own one uh, shortly now that I live in Arizona. My mom has never sent me Bible verses. My mom, not only did my mom <laughs> buy me a pack of cigarettes when I was 16, she did it for Christmas. It wasn't technically from her. It was from Santa Claus. Uh, there was a, a carton of Marlboro menthol lights uh, wrapped up from Santa. I knew that Santa smoked menthol. No one believed me. Of course he does. So very different. And the old me would have been ready for just political debates. And I'm going to I'm gonna smash my girlfriend's parents on my podcast. I mean, my grandma's very right wing conservative, has a picture of her with Pat Robertson, has a picture of her with George Bush uh, in her home. And I don't talk to her. I like made it a very public, like, I'm not going to talk to her and was proud of that, you know, instead of having conversations with her uh, about politics or not even doing that, just loving her because she loves me because she's my grandma. And things have changed so much with me that I wasn't nervous in the slightest. I mean, you know, my girlfriend's never dated someone with tattoos. There were so many red flags I, I was carrying into this. I went in only knowing about her parents that she loves her parents so much, that her parents' opinion matters to her so much, and that her parents, for the 29 years that my girlfriend has been alive, have done nothing but love and support her. And I also know that I love and support her. And so for literally the first time in my life, as ridiculous as that may sound, I went into meeting conservatives being like, they're wonderful people, and assuming and knowing they're wonderful people. And guess what? They fucking are. And not only that, it wasn't that we just avoided politics. Within a couple hours of us knowing each other and getting along, we did talk about politics. And I asked them questions about things that I would disagree with, not looking to snarkily shut them down, but legitimately wanting to know. So for example, like I asked her dad about regulation and I go, cause he doesn't want the earth to burn. If climate change is real, Republicans don't want our, their fucking grandkids to die. I was like, okay, so how do people like you keep your job, but also, you know, how do we have some sort of regulation so that the people at the top, your bosses, don't run rampant for profit? And he goes, I do think there should be regulation. And I was like, what? He goes, I just don't think the government, which doesn't know shit about oil, should be the ones regulating. And I was like, oh, that kind of makes sense. I talked to another conservative friend of mine recently who I reached back out to who uh, 
thinks that America should be investing more in alternative fuel sources. And I was like, but I just thought you guys were like, climate change isn't real, Jesus did it, I'm a dum-dum. And he was like, no, I don't give a shit about climate change, I want America to be number one when it comes to innovation. And I'm like, that's amazing. Like, I don't care that that's your reason, and that I don't need America to be number one. I'm fine with us being like a solid, like, you know, average looking six. Like, we both want the same thing. Um, when it came to guns, I asked my girlfriend's dad, I wasn't like, what do you think about the school shooters? Do you support school shootings? Because fucking no one supports school shootings. I was like, hey, as a responsible gun owner, what do you think we should do? Wanting to know the answer. What do you think we should do um, about regulation to, to cut these down. And we had an amazing conversation about that. And we literally talked about, they say don't talk about religion uh, and politics at the dinner table. We talked about all those things uh, in a very risky situation for me where I'm being brought home to meet my girlfriend's parents. And I believe that it made us closer. Um, I think that we both learned things. And to get off of Twitter and to be in a high pressure situation where I could do that, it just frustrated me to no end where I want to scream and yell about how possible this is. But, you know, we don't see that. Like I said, I've been called alt-right for just being friends with you, who I do not consider alt-right. Um, and it's very sad that it's the people that I used to hang out with and that it's the people who still carry at least 50% of my politics who are being so ignorant and refusing to hear out the other side. I mean, we're just being, we're just being childish. Is Arizona your future? Are you done with the uh, California lifestyle? 100%. I have never met such nice people in my life. I went to a concert last night and no one was on their phones taking pictures. It was... It was incredible. And I don't know people's politics. I mean, this city could be a little more liberal. Uh, you know, I, I think the part we're in is a little more conservative. It's a little more bougie. But it's incredible, man. I mean, we help our neighbors carry things. We have conversations with people on the street. I'm at the point in my life where I consider being nice uh, and having someone be nice to you a revolutionary political act. And... At this point, I have my politics. I'll vote the way I vote. I'll tweet the way I tweet. But honestly, man, I think that I know people on the left who talk the most shit, which used to be me, and I know other people who do this, and they're not good people in real life, and they're not doing charity work, and they're not, they're not doing anything that won't make them look good on Twitter, right? cool you volunteer for the Elizabeth Warren campaign, but like, what are you doing outside of that? What are you doing that you can't put on your resume? You know, and I've been honestly shocked at how many conservatives I've met that do more charity work uh, than my old liberal friends. I'm not saying liberals as a whole, I'm saying the like kind of elite journalisty people um, that I used to hang out with. Not Moby, that guy donates like, all of his proceeds to charities. Moby wrote the theme song for my other podcast, which is called Wrong Speak. And when it was time for me to pay him, he just said, send it to the American Humane Fund for the treatment of animals. Whoa, yeah. Moby's now off social media and has been canceled as like a creep and is one of the like most charitable, wonderful human beings. Being treated like he was accused of rape 
when he was just like, I dated Natalie Portman. And Natalie Portman was like, no, he didn't. And then everyone's like, he's a predator. And it's like, dude doesn't even date. He literally just does charity events. His restaurant, he doesn't take any money. His restaurant has like the who's who of Hollywood celebrities go there. Uh, it's like this vegan restaurant in Silver Lake. All of the proceeds, besides paying his staff, go to animal charities. Uh, literally all of them. Like when we were on stage together at that ACLU benefit, he just donated $10,000 to the ACLU on stage, on the spot, without telling me he was going to do it. I mean, he's one of the most wonderful, charitable people in the world. And again, we are, our, our, our culture right now on Twitter is we just want to fucking find people and we just want to bury them. And the more successful they are, the better that is, because that'll make us feel better about our shitty life. So what does your girlfriend think about all this? Is she a civilian? She is Miley Cyrus. Uh, she <laughs> is, thank Christ, a normal civilian. She's a really great case study. That's my pet name for her is case study. She's a really great case study of what real liberals who aren't on Twitter actually are and actually care about. Um, not like the cool kid hipster verified. So yeah, she's as normal as they come. I, I bet you money within two years, I'll have a kid, a gun, and a truck. Uh, in Arizona and probably be happier than I've ever been in my life. My agents are still trying to figure out where to book me, um, you know, figuring out, should I just start talking at conservative uh, get-togethers? The Quillette performance was probably like my, I did that and like a Bill Hicks benefit, but those are probably my only two performances of the last year. That's why I was trying to write more and kind of trying to deny that I'm still a performer. You know, we talked about this off the air just because I assumed I wouldn't get booked. But I'm starting to see that there is an audience out there for this. They're just not on Twitter all the time and a little more low key. Um, I just have to keep pushing and digging and, and, and trying to find them. Thanks so much. And tell listeners how they can subscribe to your podcast. Yes. So the podcast you can get for free. It's only 20 minutes. Thank God. Monday through Wednesday uh, talking about these issues. It's at uh, all the links are at jamiekilsteinpodcast.com, and you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. That's for free. And then if you believe in this or if you want to go to Patreon and support independent media, just like I would also ask your listeners to support Quillette um, and support people, even if you don't agree with them, who are doing something different. You know, we're seeing people from the left like David Pakman and people from the right like Steven Crowder or and David Rubin uh, demonetized or uh, having their search stats fucked over on YouTube in exchange for giving CNN, MSNBC, and Fox uh, higher rankings. That's garbage. So I would ask your people, even if it's not me on Patreon, even if it's Quillette, to just support independent work on Twitter. I'm at Jamie Kilstein. On Instagram, I'm the Jamie Kilstein. And then I have a Facebook uh, page as well. Thanks so much and take care. If you would like to support Quillette, please consider becoming a patron. Head to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash Quillette. If you haven't already, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Do you like what you're hearing? Perhaps you would like to read more about the issues in today's discussion. Head to Quillette.com where you will find more content.